Acts chapter 5, verses 17 to 42. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out, saying, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We have found the prison securely locked, and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this could come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honour by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos stood up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all those who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to be opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them, and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour for the name. And every day, in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Alistair, thanks so much uh, for reading for us. Uh, so the, the question that we're going to consider this lunchtime is will opposition stop the gospel? Will opposition stop the gospel? I wonder how you feel about the prospects of Christianity in the UK. Uh, perhaps you come from a thriving church. 
and you feel fairly confident. Uh, but for many of us, the converse is probably true. A faithful minister leading a church, but people in the area just don't seem really interested. I was looking at some of the Church of England reports in 2017, and the trend of church attendance across the UK uh, has been dwindling over the past few years. Some of you might have heard news recently. Um, do you guys know who Franklin Graham is? Um, he's the son of uh, the great Billy Graham. And I think in summer, he's planning to come to the UK to speak at a number of conferences. And it's just transpired that a number of the venues that he had a legal arrangement with, they cancelled his contract with him, uh, citing concerns over his Christian views. Specifically in Glasgow, the, the, re- the re- reason that the MPs gave for cancelling was because his gospel rally could be breaking the law. So I quote one of the MPs, Franklin, Franklin Graham could fundamentally breach the council statutory equality duties. See, but more worrying than that, a Church of Scotland minister started a petition to stop him from spe- speaking. Another bishop from Sheffield used his diocesan website to promote against Franklin's preaching. So it seems, right, that the liberals have they're really locked arms with the anti-church secularists in order to stop the spread of the gospel. I mean, it's a new low, or maybe a new high in opposition. Or will opposition stop the gospel? I mean, it certainly seems to be the case. I'm sure in your own private life, you you feel the opposition day to day. Um, Having the Christian label stuck on you, uh, it means that you're unscientific, you are probably backward and non-progressive. And having that Christian label on you is probably not your path to popularity amongst your colleagues. But I want to suggest that what I find most discouraging uh, is not the outright opposition, but perhaps it's the, the passive, silent apathy from friends and colleagues, are the ones that I, I pour my energy into um, over many years, but they're just you know, indifferent. Or the friend that you invite for the event, and at the very last minute, uh, they cancel on you. And the people that you care for, uh, they, they just don't care. Well, so the question is, will opposition stop the gospel? And sometimes I think, well, has it even, has it even started? And um, it's worth saying that the opposition to the gospel is is not something new. And Acts, the book that we've been looking over the past few weeks, is littered with people opposing the gospel, and particularly from a strong opposition from the Jews. And that would be Theophilus' experience. We've been thinking about who Theophilus is. Um, He's a Gentile, and he reads about the gospel going to the nations. But wherever he saw the gospel spreading there will be Jewish opposition opposing the spread of the gospel. God's own people opposing his message. And so Theophilus in our reader, he would be asking the same question, you know, would all these opposition, opposition from the Jewish people, would they stop the gospel? And I think what Luke wants us to know today uh, for this lunchtime, or maybe what God wants us to know today, uh, that the answer is, is No opposition will not stop the gospel. In fact, the gospel is unstoppable. 
Uh, so look with me to today's text. Uh, we're going to dive right in. So we're on our first point. Uh, it's a clash of the new versus the old. Uh, some of you guys who were here last week, you saw Oli. Oli helped us to see that the church or the Jesus people uh, were the real deal. And that trend continues in our passage today with the disciples performing more and more miraculous signs. Look down to chapter 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Go down to verse 15. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. And... Uh, we have a description of really amazing miracles performed by the apostles. But you see, we mentioned before that Acts, Acts is not a, it's not a prescriptive, but rather it's a descriptive. So the description here is not describing a normative Christian experience. And you get a hint of what's happening there with the phrase signs and wonders in verse 12. So now many signs and wonders were done by the apostles. Um, if some of you guys were familiar with the Old Testament, the word signs and wonders, it's a technical phrase. And that comes from the book of the Exodus, where God's great acts of rescue and redemption uh, were called signs and wonders. I think Luke's point in using that phrase is to signify that the focus of God's activity is found with the apostles and not the Jewish authorities. So in chapter 4, we had Peter and John being opposed, and now we have the 12 apostles being opposed. And the Jewish rulers, they are fiercely guarding the temple. Uh, But the real epicenter of God's activity is found with the apostles. And while you see that focus increasing on the apostles, we see also an increase in opposition from the Jewish rulers. So look at verse 17. Uh, the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, were all filled with jealousy. They arrested apostles and put them in public prison. Uh, the picture of the high priest uh, rising up, I think it's really increasing the drama and the narrative. So if Luke were filming a movie here, you would see a high priest dressed in his robes, sitting on his official chair, banging his fist on his chair, and rising up, angry at stuff. Is happening. You see, the tension here is rising. And you see in this passage, a lot of people, they are all standing up. So look at verse 17, the high priest rose up. Verse 20, uh, the angel says to the apostles, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Verse 25, uh, the guards tell the the Jewish rulers, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Verse 34 as well, a Gamal, um, a Pharisee, a teacher of the law held in honor by the people, he stood up. So in the passage, you have a number of characters standing up, and I think that's exactly what's happening. Luke is increasing the drama and the narrative. Uh, you have the clash of the titans. It's the new temple versus the old temple. It's Muhammad Ali versus Joe Fraser. It's Liverpool versus Barcelona. It's a big showdown. And this is where 
the gospel will be stopped. Well, except, of course, uh, that's not how the story goes. Uh, the match uh, is completely one-sided. There's absolutely no chance that the old temple authorities will win. Uh, well, it's actually Muhammad Ali versus the newest person to join the bantamweight category. Or it's Liverpool versus your Sunday League football team. Or maybe these days it's Liverpool versus Manchester United. But well, we, we, that's where we come to our second point. The gospel is unstoppable. So look at verse 17 again. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and were filled with jealousy. They arrested apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now the captain of the temple and chief priests heard these words, and they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple, teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. See, the Jewish authorities, they do what all corrupt authorities know best. Uh, you, you just lock up anyone who disagrees with you. Uh, so the apostles, they are just thrown into prison. And there's a miraculous escape that happens. But more than just a miraculous escape, I think Luke, uh, what Luke is doing here, he is recasting the apostles to look a bit like Jesus. Some of you were here in chapter 4 when you saw a similar confrontation with the apostles and the Jewish rulers. And we said that was like the trial of Jesus before Pilate. Uh, it was the same council, the same rulers who were accusing Jesus before Pilate. Uh, the same kangaroo court. And the people here, the Jewish rulers, they were the same people that day. And here in our passage, in chapter 5, Luke is casting uh, this a bit like the empty tomb. Uh, verse 23. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of, uh, the, captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed. And the word perplexed there uh, is the same word or emotion that Luke uses to describe the apostles when they found the empty tomb. So imagine the embarrassment of the day. Uh, the council's waiting, all the people in their robes and their attire, they're waiting to accuse. And it's like an empty tomb. Uh, they find an empty prison cell. Where are the apostles? They are in the temple preaching. So the question is, will opposition stop the gospel? Um, of course not. The gospel can't be caged. And in reality, you can never cage the gospel because the real focus is not on the apostles as individuals. It is on their, their words. So look at verse 20. See the focus on their words. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Verse 25. 
Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching people. You see, the, the gospel can't be stopped because the epicenter of God's activity is found in the apostles' words. So you can't cage words, let alone the word of God. About more than the gospel not being able to be caged, uh, you see another picture in our passage today that the gospel can't be overthrown. So with all the accusations being thrown against them, Peter gives a very clear response. Uh, He says, you guys, you killed Jesus, but God raised him up and we are the witnesses. And see how they respond in verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. And then Luke records first the words of Gamal first. Um, He's a respected teacher. And it's almost as if Gamal is giving us a commentary on what's happening. He's giving us commentary on the situation. So verse 34. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamal, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put them outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with this man. Well, it's, it's obvious here that the council is, is prejudiced. And what Gamal here is, he's just exposing the intolerance. Uh, you might have also noticed um, Jacob Rees-Mogg. I'm not sure whether he's Christian or not. I don't think he is. But in response to the Franklin Graham saga, he said in Parliament, so these are the words he said, uh, the UK has robust protections for freedom of speech and freedom of religion, and the price of living in a free, plural society is tolerating views and beliefs we disagree with or even are offended by. And this is fundamentally important. It is a sad truth that many people who tout themselves as being liberal are only liberal about what they like and are very intolerant of the views they disagree with. So I'm not sure whether he's a Christian, I don't think so, but he hits the nail on his head. And there's prejudice and biasness going on in the council, and likewise today. But we see Gamal standing up, um, speaking quite a lot of sense in verse 36. So go to verse 36. For before these days, um, Tadus Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or undertaking is of men, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. See, his logic is is pretty simple, and I think it makes a lot of sense. If it's a movement of men, it will come to nothing. And what's the pattern that he says? So the leaders, they die. The followers, they disperse and scatter. And the movement comes to nothing. I think because we fail to appreciate that the Jesus movement in the first century was seen as a cult. Um, And Gamal is saying, if this is really a cult, a movement by men, it will fail. And you see the word in verse 37, a word there that Gamal uses is the word scattered. And the word scattered is also a really interesting word. It is the same word that Luke uses to describe what happens to the disciples in chapter 8, verse 1, 
after the first persecution. But we will see that scattering next week. But you see in the Acts, what happens with scattering? Uh, the scattering in Acts doesn't result in failure. It's the scattering that is the means by which the gospel spreads and increases. You see, that's the point. The scattering of the followers of Jesus in the face of persecution results in the spread of the gospel. And that proves that Jesus, the Jesus movement really is of God. Now, the fact that the scattering in the face of opposition spreads the gospel and doesn't fade away, that proves that the movement really is of God. See, the plans of men, uh, they come and go, but the plans of God, uh, you can't overthrow. So you can't overthrow the word of God. And I really hope it doesn't happen. Uh, and if I cycle home tonight and touch wood, I get hit by a bus and I die, my wife there will be really sad, I hope. <laughs> she will be. Um, it's not like the work here will stop. I mean, because it's not on the individual itself uh, so much that matters. It's the word that will keep going and it's the word of God that matters. And so probably because Gamil is one of their own, uh, they, they see sense in what he's saying and they, they let him go. So we see the first picture, you can't cage the gospel. And here we see that the gospel can't be overthrown. And the last picture, more briefly, is that the word or the gospel can't be deprioritized. And that's in chapter 6, verse 1. And the threat in chapter 6, verse 1, is more of an internal threat rather than an external one. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in daily distribution. The Hellenists there, um, that refers to the Greek-speaking Jews from Diaspora. Um, so the community believers were mostly Jews then. You have the Greek-speaking Jews and the Hebrew-speaking Jews. And the Greek-speaking Jews, they have an accusation that the Greek-speaking widows were not being provided for. But you see, the thing here is not the unity that's at stake. It's the proclamation of the word that's at stake. So look at verse 2, how the issue has been resolved. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from you among, among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we would devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. So the seven individuals were selected to perform practical duties. Uh, notice there, the ministry is the ministry of prayer and the word, not word and prayer. I think we often get that wrong, but it's prayer and the word. And prayer and proclaiming the word must be prioritized. And what's the outcome? Verse 7, the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. Do you notice there? So it's not only people who become disciples, but even the priests, those who were opposing the apostles. Some of them become obedient to the word. So our question, will opposition stop the gospel? Uh, the answer is, is no. Uh, it cannot be stopped. It is unstoppable. Uh, you can't cage it. You can't overthrow it. It can't 
be deprioritized. The spread of the gospel is unstoppable. Some of you guys know what happened in AD 70. Uh, the Temple of Jerusalem was destroyed, and the Jewish authorities, they probably lost their jobs then. Uh, but despite 250 years of persecution to the Jesus movement, by the 4th century, Christianity was growing rapidly in Rome, and the Emperor Constantine, I guess that he had no choice to become Christian because it was so popular with the masses. You see, the gospel was unstoppable. 16th century, against the might and power of the Roman Catholic Church during the Reformation, the gospel of free grace was unstoppable. 20th century, opposition by the government in China, the Ayatollah in Iran. Now both China and Iran, the fastest growing churches in the world. You see, the gospel continues to be unstoppable. And, and pause for a moment and, and think about this. Um, the, the fact that we are, are looking at this book right now and we are reading these words uh, is proof that what Gamal said was right. See, this is what he said. If it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. And so the fact that we're looking at these words 2,000 years from when they were first coined is proof that the Jesus movement really is of God. See, the gospel is unstoppable, even today. I was doing some research, research on, on YouTube, and I, um, in preparation for this talk, I googled the, the word unstoppable. Um, there's a video of like, Sia's song, you guys know Sia, Unstoppable. Um, I never knew, 100 million hits, like, wow, okay. I mean, I, then I saw this video about um, this huge Samoan rugby player, uh, his name is Elisana Tulangi. Uh, he's like 125 kg of pure muscle. Okay, he's, he's huge. And there's this like really crazy video of him. He is running uh, towards the defense line and he's plowing through the defense and he's flicking defenders away like grasshoppers. And there's one clip of him that were well, five guys trying to stop him. You have two guys which he just shoves away. And there are three of them that are trying to hang on to him and he keeps running and running to the, the finishing line. He touches down. You see, he was literally unstoppable. And then there was another clip of him. It was really funny. So um, he's running towards the camera and then you see a guy who is half a size uh, trying to defend him. And you can see the real fear in his posture even though you can see that you're only seeing the defender from the back. He knew he was supposed to make the tackle, but because there was this Samoan bulldozer coming towards him, he was like backing away at the same time. And what happened? Yeah, he got completely flattened uh, by this huge Samoan tank. And, and that's what happens. Uh, the gospel is like that. It's like a Samoan bulldozer tank. It flattens everything in its path. And, well, you try to make a tackle, uh, you get flattened. Uh, you put up a defense line of liberal bishops locking their arms with anti-Christian secularists. They will be flattened by the gospel. I mean, for 2,000 years, the gospel is unstoppable. And it's not going to stop. It's going to keep going. So what does it mean for us today? Um, well, whatever the future holds for Christianity in the UK, I think we can be confident because the gospel really is unstoppable and God himself is driving it forward. And I hope this gives you a real certainty and courage 
as a Christian. But lastly, I want to say that I think the real sign that we have taken this on board is that we speak in the face of opposition. See, the, the gospel can't be caged, so we must let it loose. The gospel can't be stopped, so we must keep speaking. And that's what disciples do in verse 42. Uh, they left the presence of the council. They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. So have real confidence that Jesus is driving the work forward. And so speak. And I don't think this passage guarantees that you know, all your apathetic friends will naturally be converted to the gospel. And that may very well not be the case. But it is saying that the global movement of the gospel will not be stopped. So, so speak widely, because the risen Lord is drawing many to himself. And so speak in the face of opposition, because the gospel, it really is, really is unstoppable. Let me pray. Father, we praise you for the work of the Lord Jesus. We praise you that despite opposition, he is still reigning and ruling up high. And we do ask, Father, that you might give us a deep confidence in him. We ask that you might help us to take him on our lips and to open our mouths and to speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh,